So it is the Christmas season, and the Christmas music has begun playing. And one song that we're hearing is, it's the most wonderful time of the year. I would like to do a little survey, and we're going to try something a little different, something we haven't tried before. I want you to get your phone out, and I want you to text, hopefully you can see that number, it's pretty small, I want you to text to Abundant Life 952, no, opposite to 22333. All right, so it's split at this time. Well, I asked because, I asked because for some people, it is the most wonderful time of the year. They love it, and I am praying that here at our church, the joy for you through this Christmas season will be compounded. I also pray, though, for you who have answered it's not the most wonderful time of the year, and it can be for a variety of reasons, right? It can be family conflict, it can be financial reasons, it can be a whole slew of things. I pray that what we do here this Christmas season at Abundant Life will help you to find joy in the midst of the difficulty. And so this uh, Christmas season, we're going to be talking about waiting, we're going to be talking about winter seasons. We're going to be talking about those times in your spiritual journey where there is difficulty, where God may seem silent, where engaging with him is just difficult, and there's dryness, and you feel as if the prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, coming right back to you. Seasons when there is waiting and waiting and more waiting. Maybe there's also too in this winter season uh, a death of a vision or a death of a dream. And no, and although no two winter seasons are exactly the same, right, even with the physical winter seasons that we go through, Although no two seasons are identical, there is one thing that is identical when we go through these winter seasons in our spiritual journey is that they are just downright difficult and hard. And so I want to ask you, I want to ask you this morning, have you been ever in a winter season in your faith journey? We're going to try and do this again 71% to 29%. That's interesting. So now I want to text, I want you to, to do the same process. Or just, just put your answer now if you're already connected, right? Have you been in a winter season in the past two years? Have you been in a winter season in your faith journey in the past two years? Wow. I did not expect it to be that high. Interesting. Let me ask you this question. Let's go to the next one. And you're just going to text A or B, right? 
for yes or no, I, I will get it right at some point. Have you been in a winter season in this past year? Down a little bit, not much. Let's go to the third question. Are you in a winter season now? This is very interesting. I like getting the real-time feedback here. So, thanks for uh, sending the text in. In our new sermon series, Breaking the Silence, we are going to be focused on how do we weather these winter seasons? Because based on what you just told me, um, if you're not in one now, chances are, and a lot of you aren't, praise God, but chances are another one will come. And so how do we not just survive the winter season, but how can we actually thrive through them? In our spiritual journey. That's what we're going to be focused on in our, this new sermon series. Uh, we'll get right into it. We're going to be looking at what the Christmas story has to say about this. So let's pray and then we'll look at it. Lord, thank you that you are the God of all seasons. Lord, thank you that you have given us promises. One in particular that I think of is that your promise is you'll never leave nor forsake us. And that your thoughts are too numerous for us to count regarding us. That you go before us, you go behind us, you hem us in. You know when we lie down, you know when we get up. You are so intimately acquainted with our ways. So much so, Lord, that we celebrate that you are Emmanuel, God with us. God, come down. Lord, thank you that you didn't expect us to somehow earn our way up to you, but you came down for us. Lord, I pray that as we consider how to navigate these winter seasons in our spiritual journey, that you, Holy Spirit, would teach us, that you would provide us encouragement, joy, and hope. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to draw your attention to the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were in a winter season. So when you open up Luke 1, you find this couple, this old couple, in one of those winter season, seasons. They, they had two desires that had gone unmet for years. What were those two desires? They wanted to have a kid. They were dealing with infertility. Some of you know how painful that can be. The, the, the second thing that they were desiring for years was that the Messiah, God's promised king, would finally come. They, they were praying and hoping for these things. In regards to wanting a child, infertility is always difficult, and it was especially difficult in that culture. Because in that culture, in that time period, your value as a woman was based on your ability to have kids. 
That was really your sole reason for existence was to have children, to be a mother, and especially sons, so that the family name could get passed down from one generation to another and so that the land that your family owned could get passed down from one generation to another. If you were unable to have children, you were ostracized. Elizabeth in Luke 1 talks about it, that she was considered a reproach among her people. She was on the margins. She was thought of as less than the other women. And then, talk about a winter experience, right? In Luke 1, 6 states that Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord blameless. This had to be such a difficult experience for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Here they were, they were following the Lord. I, there's no way scripture could say that about me. These were good people, and yet they were barren. And then on top of that, their desire to see this Messiah come, they were, under, they were being oppressed by the Romans at this point. God's people were. The Israelites were being oppressed. They were desiring for the Messiah to come and free them from this bondage that they were in. King Herod, who was the puppet king of the Roman Empire for Judea, the area in which they lived, was a tyrant. And oppression and injustice still just reigned and raged on. I wonder, for those of you who, the 30% of you or 20-some percent of you that said you are currently in a winter experience, I wonder what it is for you. Maybe you have believed that God was going to bring a dream of yours to fruition, and it hasn't happened. Maybe you've had a five-year plan and it hasn't gone the way that you had planned it out. Maybe things are, maybe you've experienced things getting better and then there's been one setback after another. Just when you think you're going to turn a corner, progress comes to a halt, and there's this standstill, and you can't help but wonder, what on earth is God doing? Should I jump ship? Should I head in another direction? Was this plan really from God, or was it a desire that I held so dearly that I made myself believe it was from God? Will this dream ever happen? And the what ifs really set in, right? What if I never find a spouse? What if we never have a kid? What if I never get that promotion? What if my business never gets off the ground? What if we never get out of poverty? What if my marriage never heals? What if my wayward child never finds their way back home? In Zechariah and Elizabeth's case, is that what if we never do have a child? 
And on top of those hopes and dreams, sometimes when we're in, you know, those hopes and dreams not coming to fruition, sometimes when we're in that winter season, God seems rather silent and can feel distant. And you can lack passion in your relationship to him and like spending time with him and doing for him is more of a duty than it is a delight. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're in the winter and the cold is starting to get to you. On multiple occasions, I've journeyed through these winter-esque type experiences in my faith journey. Um, in ministry, being a pastor, there have been times uh, and seasons of discouragement, spiritual dryness, doubt, anxiety, setback after setback after setback. There have been times when I've gone to God and I've thought, God, what on earth are you doing? This does not make sense. I do not see how this is good for your kingdom and for your glory. I've experienced those winter-esque seasons in my own personal life, not just in ministry. I've gone through multiple very deep, dark times with OCD, anxiety, panic attacks, In those winter seasons, it was a struggle not just to get through the day, but to get through each hour of the day. Have you been there? If you haven't, you may be there at some point. And if you have gone through that winter season, there may be another one. And not to live in fear. But sometimes I think the winter is so dark and so cold because we don't expect it to be. And we are not, so it just shocks us when it comes. We will have these moments and these seasons in our spiritual journey. In the greatest temptation, I believe, in the winter, in these seasons of waiting, in these seasons when God seems distant or silent, is to doubt God's goodness. This is the great temptation. This is the tactic we see Satan using from the beginning of scriptures all the way through. It, this was the temptation. This was the strategy of Satan when he approached Adam and Eve in the garden. Can you really trust God? Is he really good? If he was good, he, he would let you eat of the fruit. But he doesn't want you to be like him and know the difference between good and evil. He's holding out on you. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. Think about Satan and Jesus in the wilderness. If you were truly the son of God, if God really loved you, like he would not have you out here in the wilderness with no food to eat, turn those stones into bread, relieve yourself, take control because you can't trust God. You can't trust the Father. And he would no way put you on this path of suffering. Here, bow down to me. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world without the suffering. God's not good. You can't trust him. And if you're in a winter season right now, there's something that we need to desperately hear in the winter season. And I believe God wants to say it to you this morning. It's the same thing that he said to Zechariah and Elizabeth through the angel. 
Luke 1.13 says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. I think the Hebrew is Zacharias, the Greek is Zachariah, and that's why you see those two, sometimes it's Zacharias, sometimes it's Zacharias, depending on your translation, just so you know. Do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer is heard. I want you to know that God hears you. God hears you. He may, speaking, he may stop speaking from time to time, but he never stops listening. He hears your cries. Last week, Chase was up here preaching and did a superb job. I was so impressed with what God did through him. And Chase, he shared Psalm 34. Listen to what the psalmist says about God. Notice the phrase that is repeated. Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me. Psalm 34, 6 and 7, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Psalm 34, 10, the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall lack no good thing. Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord on the righteous and he and his ears are open to their cry. Psalm 34, 17 and 18, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. I love verse 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. God hears your cries. And so if this is true, what should our response be? Verse 17 tells us in Psalm 34, we should cry out. You should express your frustration to God. You should express your anger to God. You should express your sadness to God. You should express your disappointment. You should express your confusion. You should express that you're tired of the season going on and on and on, and you wonder if you can make it through, and you should express this kind of stuff to God as rawly and as unfiltered as you possibly can, like snot bubbling, coming out of your nose, crying to God, totally raw. When I got to this point in the sermon, I had this thought, we don't know how to lament. We do not know as Christians how to lament. Oh, the power of lament. And you know why I don't believe Christians know how to lament? It's because we have bought two lies Here are the two lies we have bought into as Christians. One is that all complaining to God is sinful. It's all sinful. There's no place for any kind of complaints to God. It's sinful, so don't do it. Don't express frustration with his plan, his timing, what he's doing. Don't do it. You won't be a good Christian if you do. And so what we do is we either suppress and try and ignore those feelings or we kind of uh, turn a cold shoulder to God and we give him the silent treatment. 
And these things only compound our suffering, these two responses. And so, and another thing is if we ignore these negative emotions that we're experiencing and these negative thoughts, they will not ignore us. What we suppress resurrects. It always does, and it usually does at the worst times and in the worst possible ways. Do you know how to lament? Is lamenting sinful? Is crying out to God honestly and expressing your negative thoughts and emotions sinful? I don't think so. God's word repeatedly has lamenting in it. Did you know the Psalms? Out of the 150 Psalms, a third of them, every one out of every three is a Psalm of lament. Here are some examples, Psalm 10, 1 and 2. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Psalm 13, 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Psalm 88, 1 through 5. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength. Adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, who you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. I don't know what clinical depression is, and I'm not a a psychiatrist or psychologist, but I don't know if you can get any lower than what we have here in Psalm 88. Lamenting, expressing deep sorrow to God is so prevalent in the scriptures. We have a whole book that's titled what? Lamentations. It's a whole entire book of the Bible that is one long lament. And then we hear Jesus' laments in Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is God okay with lament? I'm going to tell you why. First of all, God's okay with it because he's not insecure and easily offended. He can take it. Nor are you going to say anything or think anything that he doesn't already know about, so he's not going to find it shocking. In fact, he knows it before it's even formed in your brain or on on your tongue. Secondly, lamenting brings us to God. This is so important. You may recall when Jim Curzon last taught, he said, I believe wrestling with God is a spiritual discipline, and I would agree. It's an important spiritual discipline. And you may have heard it said before, but I'll say it again because it's so good that God's okay with us wrestling with him. You know why? Because when we're wrestling hand-to-hand with God, we are near him. We are near him. And when we are near him, he can take us and he can restore us. But if we cut ourselves off from him, if we give him the cold shoulder, if we suppress and ignore all these negative thoughts and emotions and don't bring that part of us to God, there's this separation. He would much, have, have, much rather have us wrestling with him. Thirdly, 
lamenting often weakens the intensity of our feelings. This is important too. That's why God's okay with lament. Fourthly, it actually puts us in a position to receive empathy and hope from Jesus. A quick illustration. So as I'm writing the sermon, I was thinking about my relationship to my son Isaiah. He's seven, right? And he has had, he battles with responding to anger in ways that are not good. Anybody still deal with that as an adult, right? So this is his struggle, and it's been a struggle for, for quite a long time. He actually met, missed part of Thanksgiving dinner or lunch uh, because he was throwing a temper tantrum. And so we had to go late, and that was part of his punishment. But w- one winter night, Isaiah, he was so upset about something, I don't remember what it was, and he wanted to run away, right? So he goes out, it's snowy all over, he goes, and this little guy, he walks across our two and a half acres to the edge of our property, I said, hey, you can go that far, but you can't cross over our property line, if you think that's going to help you, fine, right? Of course, he crosses over to the property line, he keeps going, I start, all right, I gotta, there's a pond back there, I gotta start going after him. So I'm walking, he sees me walking, he starts running. So I'm like, all right, I got to close this 100-yard gap. I start running. I finally catch up to him. I had to wrestle him to, like, constrain him and, you know, everything. And what I did with him, and this is what I do with him when I'm at my best. This isn't always the case because I'm not always at my best. But what I did is I just listened to his little heart. I listened, and I gave him empathy, and I attuned with him, and I connected with him. He said hurtful things. Was I hurt? Eh, A little bit, but not really, because I know who Isaiah really is. And my love for him and my grace for him, it can't even be contained. And you know what happened when I just held him, and I listened to him, and I expressed, like, you probably felt this way too? His heart melted. His heart melted in my arms, right? And we were out in the snow and in this dark sky, and he's just sobbing, and he's breaking down, and he's saying he's sorry. I, when, and then, so my mind now, as I was writing the sermon, I was on the bike path right now, and, and I'm riding my bike, and I'm like, God, why are you sometimes silent? Why are you sometimes silent when we're in the winter? And what I felt like he whispered to me as I was riding with Jesus is he said, um, Shane, sometimes I'm silent because I am listening. I am listening. And you know what, Shane? If I were to tell you the things that you uh, probably need to hear, you wouldn't be able to receive it. I want to give you empathy. I want to listen to you. I want you to unload your raw emotions and thoughts on me because only when you do that, Will you be in a position to actually receive from me? Shane, I want you to break your silence. Maybe right now if you're in a winter experience and God is feeling a bit silent, maybe he is waiting for you to break your silence. Maybe he's waiting for you to come to him. And just full out lament. 
Because until you do, he's not going to be. A, Isaiah went, did I give Isaiah a lesson when he came to me and I was holding him in his arms? And did I tell him how his behavior was out of line and what he was saying was wrong? No, he would not have been able to hear it. He would have not been able to receive it. He needed to get all his emotions and thoughts out, receive empathy, and then later on I was able to tell him what he needed to know. Look, this is the pattern that we see in the Psalms. The person laments, and guess what happens? It's like as they lament, God brings his empathy and his compassion and his grace and his love to bear on the situation. And that's why we see so many psalms that end on a positive note, don't we? Think about Psalm 10 and Psalm 13, two psalms that I read to you uh, earlier. Psalm 10, 16 and 18 says, The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. Look at Psalm 13, 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. They were just crying out these laments. God, as they cried out, comfort them in their affliction, and their attitude and their hearts already starting to soften and to turn. What is your lament this morning? If you're, in, if you're part of that 20 to 30% here today that are in this winter season right now, what is your lament? I encourage you to write that sucker out, get it down, use as much adjectives much color, as much unfiltered transparency, get it down and say, God, this is it. I encourage you to do that. I really think this is the first step to getting out of the pit. Lament is the first step to getting out of the the pit. I truly believe that. Uh, The message puts, I think it's in James, get down on the knees before the Lord because it's the only way you're going to get up on your feet. And let me remind you why you can approach God's throne so boldly, so unfiltered, so in the raw, because it is a throne of grace. And why is it a throne of grace for us instead of judgment and condemnation? Because of Christmas. Because this great God came to be one of us. And that little one that was born in Bethlehem grew to grow up to be our Savior who died on a cross to pay for our sins so that we could have forgiveness, so that before God's throne, only grace remains, so that we can be connected to him, so that we can come to him boldly with our lament and receive his help in our time of need. You see, the Christmas story gives us hope. I don't know the reason for your winter, 
And I have to tell you, these kind of sermons, I preach them with such intrepidation. Because although I've experienced some suffering, my suffering has, is relatively small potatoes and light compared to what other people have suffered. And I never want to say cliche, cliche things that aren't helpful for you. That's always my biggest fear. I want to be a help. I don't know why you're going through what you're going through. I don't. And chances are God is doing 10,000 things at once. But here's what I do know. And we see this in the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. And I'll end here. He desires to give you a gigantic faith. And he desires to give others a gigantic faith. And one thing he is surely doing, because scripture, it's all over scripture, and I've seen it in my life, in the life of others, and I see it in the Christmas story, is this is what he's doing. He is growing your faith through this winter season. He wants to give you a gigantic faith, and he wants to use your story to give others and create in others a gigantic faith. There's no doubt in my mind, in every winter season we experience, God is at least doing this one thing. And like I said, probably 9,999 others. Did you see what, uh, if you were to skip ahead, and I encourage you to read Luke 1, did you see what Zechariah says after this whole ordeal? God ends up giving him a son who's going to bear witness to the Messiah that's coming in Jesus. His whole song of praise is all about God's faithfulness. And guess what? I guarantee Zechariah, his faith, man, was stronger than ever. And guess what? He probably went through another winter season. But do you think he went through it a little bit differently? Do you think? And check this out. If God would have given Zechariah and Elizabeth a baby right away, they may have a baby. But would they have a gigantic faith? I think not. I don't know what you want or what you're desiring, but a gigantic faith is always more precious than anything else you can get. You know why? Because a gigantic faith, deep trust in God, that's where the abundant life is found. That's where real joy, real contentment is found. That's what God wants to give you, and he wants to give it to other people. I want to, and I know, man, I went over but I'm still going to have Sharon Hodgson come to the stage because I want her. Like, it, does this stuff really work? Or is it just me up here saying this stuff and it doesn't work? This stuff works. Jesus works, right? So Sharon's going to share a little bit with all of you uh, her experience with the faithfulness of God. And so we have a seat. We got uh, a mic. You're on. So... Uh, Sharon, I need a drink real quick. Um, Sharon, you were so courageous and brave to do this with me this morning, and I appreciate it. And what's cool is, is the Sunday I asked you to do this, I think you said it was that morning or the morning before, like God was speaking to you about sharing your story. Yes. Like, we yes. can't make this stuff up. Like, this is how God works. You and Ed went through a tremendous winter season here and not too long ago. It was a journey. Yes. So tell us about that winter season. Tell us the circumstances, what was going on with Ed's health. Start there. Okay. Briefly, um, 
uh, back when Ed was 46, he had a widowmaker heart attack, was diagnosed with heart disease, um, which is a, a terminal disease that you just never know when it's gonna take you. Uh, in 2010, he had a second heart attack, open heart surgery, and lived a good life for quite a, quite a time until the end of 17. Mm -hmm. His heart started to fail fast. Uh, about the spring of 18, we had to go up to Cleveland Clinic because um, things were exhausted here locally, um, medically, and they said uh, that they thought he would probably be gone in five months. So they wanted to do a heart transplant. He didn't qualify because he had kidney problems due to all the medication he'd been on for decades. But he did qualify for a heart pump, which is pretty much a portable life support system. Um, had that put in in July of 18. Three quick complications for any LVAD. It's called an LVAD. Recipient is internal bleeding, um, blood clots and strokes, and uh, infections. He has had everything but a stroke. <laughs> Praise mm -hmm. God. Thank you, Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's been a journey. It really has. And just when you thought you were turning a corner, there was another setback. I mean, this was re oh. repeated. Repeated setbacks. Uh, internal bleeding has been the biggest one with um, blood infections um, on top of that. And um, we spent probably 200 days in 2018 at Cleveland Clinic. And this year, or this year, we've probably spent 90 days in Cleveland Clinic. Hmm. Um, but um, God is just amazing. Mm -hmm. So tell me about some of the negative emotions that both of you were experiencing as you were going, going through that winter. Uh, probably confusion on my part just because I like all my ducks in a row, and I didn't understand. I didn't understand why he would recover and then set back and recover and then set back. And I didn't quite understand why God would keep doing that to him. Mm -hmm. um, he was, uh, he's my rock, you know, he's my love of my life, and he was always that strong man who took care of me, and all of a sudden, he was so fragile, mm. um, and he couldn't even walk from here to there uh, without struggling, and, and it took him so long to recover just from walking 10 feet. It was really hard for me to see that mm. happen to him. <coughs> So that roller coaster was probably the hardest struggle that I had in not understanding why God would allow that mm -hmm. to touch his life mm -hmm. um, and take such a strong, vibrant man down to his knees. Mm -hmm. That was hard for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember, you know, being in the hospital with you and you expressing to me, like, I just don't know how much more he can take, like how much... Oh more can one man handle. Right, right. And he, he um, was in the ICU for many, many different times in and out. And the, the last admission we had was this, um, was in July of this year. And he got a really bad blood infection. He was a 40-day stay. Got a really bad blood infection that they thought attacked his pump, um, which I if that were the case, then that would not be a good thing. He came home on home infusions, which was the second time he had come home on home, home infusions. But um, anyway, in that particular stay, he went into septic shock and his organs started shutting down. And they pushed me out of the um, ICU into the ICU waiting room. 
Now this ICU waiting room with the Cleveland Clinic and the cardiac unit is like an airport. Mm. I mean, it's never empty. Mm. Um, the lights are on constantly. There's people sleeping in the ICU, um, but it was empty. God emptied it for me. So it was just me in this big room and I started yelling at God mm. <laughs> and started saying, I cannot believe God that you're going, all this God, that God, that you have put him through that a, a, a blood infection is going to take his life. You cannot allow that to happen. He's fought and he's fought and he's fought. Please, Lord, don't let a blood infection take his life. So I, I slept two days in the waiting room. And um, hmm. then he was in the IC for, for six days, five or six days, I forget. And uh, the he got to be moved down into a, a step down. He was so feverish. His fever was like 104. And they had him packed in ice. They had him on cooling blankets, and they couldn't bring it down. And um, they finally got it down, and they moved him into a step down. And the doctor came in, and they, he said, well, I don't know what he did, but he did something right because all of his, his kidney numbers, his liver numbers, these were the two organs that were failing. Um, whatever he did, he did right because all his, his organs have stabilized. And I said, that was an answer to prayer. Are you kidding me? Mm. I said, God intervened there. I said, we have so many hundreds of people praying for him right now. Mm. And um, so anyway, he ended mm. up. Yeah. That was the first time that I really screamed at God and said, you cannot let this happen mm. to this man. He's fought so hard. Yeah. One of the things that I really respect about you is you are who you are. I've never been around you thinking like, you were trying to be something you're not. And I wanted our people to hear about your laments because I think you model so well um, because you are so authentic in your relationship to Christ and you believe that his grace and love is so great for you that you can be so raw and honest. And I want our people to feel that same kind of freedom and I think they can learn from your relationship with God. It's so intimate. It's so real. It's so... I just say it, it inspires me. I think the biggest thing that God has taught me over the last two years is that, you know, you can go there. You can scream at God and you can mm. yell at God, but don't set up camp there. Mm -hmm. I mean, what you need to do is I used to, I, I, I stayed in Eddie's room with him up there and I would come home like every 10 days and, you know, get the mail and kick the cat and so to speak. But um, <laughs> then I would go back, but it, I'd spend 23 hours a day in his room with him and God would impress on me to, okay, Sharon, there's so much you don't know. There's so much you don't understand, but start making a list of all the things that you do know. Mm -hmm. You do know that I'm good. Mm -hmm. You do know that I'm faithful. You do know that I love Ed more than you do. You do know that I've never failed you. You do know. And so I just started making all a list of all the things that I do know. And it just overshadowed all the unknowns, all the fears, all the what ifs. It just overshadowed mm. that. And every time I found myself fearful, I'd get out my list and I'd add a few more. And every morning when I'd wake up, I would I'd convince myself to find something positive about that day, whether it's the fact that they brought Ed's meals on time or whether it's the fact that we had a really good STNA that day, or whatever it was, mm. there's always something that God blessed our life with. And I mean to tell you, I cannot tell you people enough 
how much we coveted your prayers and what a comfort you guys were to us knowing that you guys were praying for us in the visits that we had from you guys. Mm. I mean, oh my golly, mm -hmm. I can't even go there. Uh, we're going to be talking about that exact same thing. So when we're in the pit, the pit, we have to lament. And I don't think we should shortchange that time. I think we, we often do that as Christians. But at the same time, there comes a point where we can't stay there, right? Um, and I was going to ask you, what would be your suggestion and advice to somebody that's in a winter e experience right now? And I love what you said about looking, looking at the objective reality, that's behind your subjective kind of experience and in, 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 in what you're going through. And I think that's fantastic. Praise God. Thank you for doing this because I, this is real life, foot on the ground. In this, this stuff, Jesus is real. He sustains us. He's an anchor for us in the storm. So um, thank you so much. Let's give her a warm <laughs> round of applause. Why don't you all stand with me and um, let me pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you're the rock on which we can attach our anchor to. And attached to you, we truly can weather any storm that comes our way. Lord, thank you that you can sympathize with our weaknesses because you were tempted in every way. Lord, may we draw near to you and find you drawing near to us. May we experience the comfort that comes from drawing near to you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.